Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hello, and welcome to The Vergecast, the flagship podcast of TheVerge.com. There's only one of us right now, because why'd you push that button? Is Their season's over. They're going to start another mm-hmm. one, though. That's going to be fun. But for now, it's just us, solo flagship of technology news. Still counts, though. It definitely still counts. I'm your friend, Neli. How are you? Paul Miller is here. Hello. Dieter Bone is here. Hi. Wow, Dieter. <laughs> don't, know, don't know what's going on with Dieter. <laughs> We're going to figure that out. That's what this hour is going to be. Anyway, this is a show, <laughs> as you might know, about technology news, some jokes, just three buds having a good time. We got some phones to talk about. There's some S10 leaks. Mobile World Congress is coming up. There's some Sonos rumors, some Netflix stuff going on. I, I got a whole Fortnite copyright thing I want to talk about. But first, Better Worlds is the Verge's science fiction project. It's huge. It's massive. 11 stories, five podcasts, five videos. It's going on the site right now. We put one of the podcasts in the Vergecast feed this week in place of the interview episode. I, I really hope you liked it. I know it's something different, but please check it out. Go to the Verge Extras feed if you want to hear more short stories. We've rebranded it Better Worlds. You can look on our YouTube channel. There's amazing animation, and the stories are on the site. The great John Scalzi story this week called The Model Dog. Please check it out. I implore you. That's just my plug. I'm so excited about this. The news is so dark, and this is such like a positive, uplifting thing that's about science and technology, which we're not getting enough of lately. So check it out. I hope you like it. Paul, have you been reading it? I've read the first one with the spaceship, but I, I want to catch up. We do it. I'm excited about it. I just I just want everyone to think about it. Okay, that's it. That's enough plugs. I'm going to be honest. It's been a quiet week. Right? Kind of quiet. Yeah. But like uh, a lot of stuff going on. We're in the like CES happened and now, you know, most of that stuff isn't real, but some of it is potentially very exciting. And then everyone is taking a breath. And then Mobile World Congress mm-hmm. is going to be starting up uh, in a basically a month from today. And so like that's starting to ramp up. The leaks are starting to ramp up. But in this zone, uh, it's just a little bit quiet, as far, at least as far as like direct gadget news goes. And yeah, so it's, you know, it's fine. There's, there's plenty of stuff happening for us to talk about, but not so much that it feels overwhelming. We can just sort of spread out and relax and talk about notches for as long as we want. <laughs> can I tell you my favorite little bit of news? Yes. It's not on a rundown. It's not even news. It's just my favorite thing that happened this week. The government, as you know, shut down. That's my favorite bit of news as no, well. No, it's not my favorite bit. It's, it's generally horrible <laughs> news. But 800,000 federal employees aren't working. The FCC is shut down. But our friends at Motherboard, who are great, that you know, they wrote a story about location tracking. We talked about this last week. But the cell carriers mm-hmm. selling your location data. 
And they wrote this follow-up piece by this company called Zoomigo, which had this presentation for why the rules should be even more relaxed. And so they email the FCC. Motherboard's reporters email the FCC's press line for comment. But nobody works at the FCC. So the person who just started emailing them back was a Jeet Pai. <laughs> he's yes. just the only person left in the building. It's like you email customer support at Apple, yeah. and you're just like, oh, my iPhone screen is broken. What do I do? And Tim Cook replies. He's like, hey, what's up? Yeah, it's incredible. Tim Cook here. I laughed very much about it when I saw the tweet from other words editor-in-chief. Okay, Dieter. Yeah. There's exciting notch developments or anti-notch developments <laughs> in the world today. The S10 and S10 Plus are leaking all over the place. Yeah. And we should Everywhere. talk about this hole punch. We should talk about the, the double wide hole punch display that the S10 Plus has. But first, can we just can we all just celebrate the fact that Samsung is making flagship phones in 2019 with headphone jacks? People like I literally I tweeted out just the word headphone jacks with a link to our our story about the leaks, and people are like excited. They're like, I'm gonna buy an S10. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. This might be the last one. There's a rumor that this is the last time Samsung's gonna leave the headphone jack in the phone. Wasn't that the rumor the last time? Yeah, but then I think Samsung sees the market demand. They're yeah. aware. They know it's up. But look, mm. phone sales are slowing down. The upgrade cycle is slowing down. This phone will probably be on sale for three years. That's three more years of, of, of high-end headphone jack. It makes me, it makes me happy. Now, am I going to get a Samsung phone <laughs> is the question. You, you really ought to. You know. Vote with your wallet. I need to have an iOS phone and an Android phone. Mm-hmm. That's a thing you know, in my life. It's also really nice to have a vanilla Android phone. Well, that's not yep. the Samsung. A Samsung phone is like it's a, not, more like it's a not. Rocky Road situation. All right. I, let me make the case for why you should buy one of these Samsung phones. We don't okay, – it's not a good case. We don't, we've never seen it. It's not even <laughs> – We haven't seen them. But like – okay, make the case for why you should be hype about the Samsung phones. Imagine Dieter's wearing a red polo and he approaches you in a Verizon store. All right. <laughs> oh, God. Don't All punch right. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. Thing the first, headphone jack. That's it. I I think that we're going to look back at 2018. If you survey all of the notches on all of the phones Mm. in two years when we're beyond the era of the notch, the notch era, and you have to pick what was the doofiest, stupidest notch that was made on a phone, you could make the case that it was the Pixel 3 XL. Oh, without question. Mm -hmm. Right? You you just don't Um, even make the case. That's just a fact. Well, there's some, they're like, there are some phones with like the double notch, and like the double notch is like pretty out there. Anyway, this thing has an elegant looking front of the phone. It has, you know, a little bit of a bezel at the top and the bottom because they didn't make you, they're not spending the extra however many tens of millions of dollars to do the engineering to fold the screen underneath. They already spent all that money to fold the screen on the left and the right. So it, it is relatively proportional. It has these little hole punch notches, which Again, I think that just a full cutout proper notch would be just as fine. Like you don't actually gain anything by having that extra screen there, but aesthetically, I think it looks good. You no longer have to deal with a fingerprint sensor on the back that's super hard to reach. Uh, instead, it's the, right there under the screen. And if you, you know, maybe they'll do the opt the iris sensor, but I don't think there's room in those notches for that. So that's gone. So it's just a very simple unlock process, and you get to try out uh, One UI, which is uh, Samsung's latest attempt to make a clean version of its software. You get to that's in your plus. Column. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I'm interested in seeing what One UI is like. I really am. I missed out on the beta, but shifting everything down. And you know what? I'm not even mad about the uh, the cryptocurrency wallet. I was prepared to go on a full rant about how dare they. And you know, it's, I don't care. Fine. 
Like it's a thing that people want around the world. And Neelai, for you in particular, yeah, you are the man who we use Slack every day for our internal chat and we have to use it all day. And most of us do the same thing and customize the way Slack looks and feels to match our preferences so we don't have garish, ugly colors. Uh, but you have said that you like to leave Slack at the defaults because you want to experience what most people experience. I leave almost software. everything at the default. So if you leave everything at the default and you want to experience what most people experience, you have to, for your job, buy a Samsung phone. I, I understand what you're saying. Now, to be fair... Mm. There are defaults that I change all the time. <laughs> For example, I think you all know how I feel about motion smoothing, which is the default uh -huh. of most things. Change that yeah. one. I do change the color tuning on phones because the, the super crazy. Right. But I'm talking about like your general muckety-muck settings when people are like, you can just change that. I'm like, most people don't. I think that's important. How things behave, you got to leave it the default. Yeah. But I hear what you're saying. And look, I, gotta, I always have to have an Android phone. I haven't had a Samsung phone in a real long time. Maybe mm -hmm. this is the one. Maybe, yeah. maybe maybe this One UI is going to convince me. I mean, you don't have a Pixel 3, right? I do. I have. I mean, I have the little guy. What, I mean, what, you okay. Yeah. Just imagine a world where One UI is so good that people start switching in droves. They're like, Psh, Samsung, whatever. But then they try the One UI and they're like, oh, this is what I always wanted a phone to be like. And Samsung cracked it. <laughs> people are finally like, yes. I want this dog with shoe. I want Clippy to be on my phone. <laughs> no, you know, I was talking to Dan Seifert oh, ages ago, and I think we're at the point with phone UIs where the value of experimenting act actively cuts against their ability to capture customers, right? So mm. Dan, his wife's phone had broken, and he gave her some Android phone, and it was, like, too different, and she didn't like it, right? But you mm -hmm. give the phone that has like just aggressively cloned the iPhone UI, and people will like make the transition. And I've mm -hmm. I've noticed this several times too because I, I have some friends who switched to Android phones and Samsung aggressively cloning how the iPhone looked and felt like captured customers for Samsung. So yeah, we sit and we're like, we want to see all this competition. We want to see all these crazy ideas, all these new paradigms, and then BOS real people on a phone. Right, and then real. I'm like, give me a Windows windowing system and a stylus, mm -hmm. uh, and then real real people out there in the world are just kind of like, I know how to use a phone. I'd prefer this other phone to be similar to that. And that, I think and that cognitive switching cost is real high. So everything is converging. Like That's I would, I would be true. I would be very surprised if Apple's swipe gesture ideas don't just become the default everywhere in like the next two or three years. Because but at what the same time. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You know, the one UI, uh, every time you, you swipe up, it just screams one at you. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of the bleep bloop noises that Samsung used to. Get. Look, I'm surprisingly hype about hole punch displays. I'm mm -hmm. super, we saw some more foldable display concepts. Uh, yeah, Xiaomi's got a really good one. Xiaomi's yeah. is really good. There was the the mo there was a Motorola patent drawing of the new Razer that might have a foldable display that leaked this week. Which oh man, that patent drawing is like uh, it will never be that good. But anyway, yeah, that patent drawing is is I don't I don't know if you can file for like an aspirational patent. <laughs> <laughs> it's very aspirational, uh, but we're we're like entering an era of extreme hardware innovation again because the display technologies have like taken another leap. That's usually mm -hmm. when you see it. So the, the displays are getting thinner. You can, you can bend them and curve them. You can punch holes in them. I am super down for all of that. 
And I, I think we're going to – with Dieter, I think we're going to look back on the Notch era as being just like an aberration before we did more interesting things with screens. Like the Notch moment is very much this is the most you can do with this category of screen. And then we're going to like move on and see all the foldy stuff, all the stuff where the sensors are integrated directly into the screen or under it. I mean that Xiaomi – I like I'm a sucker. You know, like I love f- extremely futuristic prototype demo things but i looked at that mm-hmm. and i was like this is the closest to cgi in real life that i've seen on a phone in, in forever right it, it literally looks the, like they're folding just like a floating image yeah the first time i saw that video i thought it was a cgi mock-up if you haven't seen it two sides of it fold in i think like TechCrunch nailed it they said it's a triptych so like it two of the sides fold under and behind the thing so that that's what gives you the phone shape instead of it just folding in half which, for some reason, just adding an extra fold makes it more impressive. For like, I don't know, <laughs> um, but you know, the they actually managed to make Android responsive and work uh, with uh, that little thing. So good, good on them. I'm actually a little bit surprised. Like, I want to know more about what Google is doing to support folding displays by default because they said they're going to do it, but it's like, what exactly does all of that entail? Because I highly doubt that the prototypes we've seen so far are using aren't all just you know some custom thing that these different companies made yeah but if you're Xiaomi, you don't give a shit right like you you forked android you're in china you're like screw you google like have you heard of memix that's our operating system it has nothing to do with you (laughs) my guess is that folding phones are just as well supported by android as tablets are (laughs) <laughs> no, in the, I, I, in the sense it, it, it's conceptually the same you have have you need apps that can adapt to different screen sizes and ratios yeah but that, that, do the, you and so mod, people who build apps with using the modern toolkits of that that google provides and don't do anything custom or interesting with their app can support tablets and probably support folding phones just fine my That's sense, my guess. My sense of the folding screen, obviously it's happening Android, you know, th- that platform has its own dynamics. But my sense of what it's good for is consuming content, right? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know that I – I've never sat down in a coffee shop with my phone and like looked at Twitter and been like, man, I wish this was bigger, right? Like that's not it. But I think I'm going to unfold this and like look at a bigger picture or watch a video full screen. It's that stuff and I, I don't – that doesn't really – as long as the video players, right, and, like, content views scale, I don't know that this is the thing that makes people want to use Microsoft Word on an Android phone. Oh, uh, right. Right. Yeah. It's like, mostly for view. I mean, I could imagine, especially with this Xiaomi phone, like, you're scrolling through YouTube, you find a good a good video, and so you unfold it, watch it, and full, it, like, automatically goes to full screen. You watch the whole video, and then when you're done watching the video, you've Tuck, tuck the sides back in, and now you start scrolling through YouTube looking for your, your next fix, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I'm kind of— That's kinda, a pretty seamless experience. I, I just history suggests that the word seamless should not be applied to this experience yet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure it'll be it'll be weird, but in the best way. I, in, the, I, in a way that just, like, you know, processor improvements will fix it in two generations— like, it'll be like that. Think about how much handwork is involved when you've got a phone in portrait and you now you want to go full screen. And so you tap the, the full screen and then it like 
it turns and it, and now the the operating system starts turning like 90 degrees at a time trying to find which way is down with gravity and so you shake the phone so it gets the the landscape just right because you're on android and it's not as perfect as it is on ios and- i will say ios is real janky with rotation lately it's oh fast. really yeah almost maybe gravity's messed up that's <laughs> probably true look the government shut down no one's getting the gravitational signals they need from the government network of gravitrons is that how that works uh can i just say that the rumor about lg by the way is not a folding screen it's that they'll just have a, a second screen that you can plug in. Yeah, you just like carry it around and plug it in. I love this idea. Just like you just have another like thing sitting in your bag and you just like, click it in, or like you can maybe unclick it and like stick it in a little pocket behind the phone. Yeah, um, that's great. You like get all the benefits, and then if you just want the skinny little phone without the weird bend on it, you throw you leave the second screen behind. Well, one, I don't think I that we've yet it. articulated the benefits. This is only for like. Like real estate people were like, let me oh, show you yeah. some specs. And you plug in the other screen, and you're like scrolling on your phone, and you like shoot a picture. I literally, yeah. I've been trying to figure out what you would use this for. And it's definitely for the, the kind of people who give PowerPoint presentations in Starbucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, you use it like all this, in theory, all the stuff that you do on an iPad, you could do on, you know, your phone. There are lots of people that still, you know, want the iPad mini and like a dual screen or folding screen device, like is essentially an iPad mini, but it folds up. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know, I'm into it. Like I said, I'm, I'm, this is what it's, I, people who have listened to the show know, like, I'm usually very much like, but well, what is it good for? And this is the one place where I'm like, I don't care. I just, <laughs> I just want a folding phone. Like, it's with a headphone jack. With a headphone. <laughs> Can't have it all, Teeter. <laughs> and then their Honor View 20 is out. It's got a 48, mix, 48 megapixel camera, which makes me happy. I mean, well, and that camera's like, Sam Byford wrote a really good piece. Like, that camera's actually not, bullshit like it's actually there there are they managed to have real benefits and there have been very 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 few smartphones with super high megapixel counts that haven't actually just been objectively worse than like a standard 8 or 12 megapixel camera um and this one you know manages to be as good and in some cases better and that's rare so that that's why that's why i'm excited about that phone yeah i mean i i just we're just in this period where a bunch of threads that have been brewing for some time are starting to land in shipping devices. Like, the there's a Vivo Apex that'll be at MWC where the entire display is a fingerprint sensor. Like, come on. Like, that's yeah. super cool. It's a prototype, and who knows? And I think we've seen enough Vivo weirdness to know that they just like having ideas just for us to look at them. Like, the thing, the camera pops up. Like, that's fine. But I, I just, we're in a, I think this MWC, which is coming up sort of mid-February, is going to be full of extremely weird phone designs that sort of make last year seem like an aberration. Yeah. Uh, can I throw a curveball that's not on our topic list? Yeah, that's what we're here for. Paul, have you, have you been keeping up with Fuchsia, Google's Skunk Works OS project? More from like the programming language side. Why? What's that? Well, okay, so two things have happened uh, since we last checked in. One, the UI that everybody has seen for Fuchsia has basically been yanked and put into private repositories. It was called Armadillo. So... You no longer can like track and watch how they're thinking about what the user interface looks like publicly anymore, or at least not easily. So that's one. And then this week, Google hired uh, this Apple veteran named Bill Stevenson, who worked on a lot of Mac OS releases. And what's interesting there is uh, two things. Well, I'll say there, there's there's three <laughs> things that are interesting there, but I'm only going to say one of them on the Vergecast because I'm saving the other two. But when Ooh. Bill Stevenson posted <laughs> about it. 
he said, I'm excited to share that this February I'll be joining Google. Here's the important part to help bring a new operating system called Fuchsia to market. Whoa. To market? To market. Like Which real? is the first time, I, to my knowledge, like Google finally just up and admitted, yes, we're doing this. is This is a thing, and there have been lots of other little developments. So we've seen uh, some pretty clear indications that they have been developing versions of Fuchsia that can run on things like smart clocks and smart displays. Uh, so even like that Lenovo smart clock, we think that that could run Fuchsia. Um, yeah, and that's yeah. I, I've got a couple other things like conjectures and thoughts and ideas but they're like too sketchy for me to like put my name behind even on the verge cast where i'll say anything so uh i think that fuchsia is going to be an exciting thing to watch in 2018 i don't think anything's going to actually get released this year but i do think that we're going to start to see more stuff become like secretive so if you haven't like poked around if you're able to look at you know github and understand even a little bit of code Now's the time mm. to do it because I think they're going to start pulling more stuff back as they get ready to like turn it into something real. What is it going to turn into, though? See, this is where I think I know, but I don't want to say it. I think it's Google's everything operating system. If, if it can run yeah. Android applications, it, it, it can. And, it's ba- and it can run on really lightweight devices. It's like it's Google's like Darwin at the kernel, right? It's instead of having like a... a its own special variant of Unix as its main kernel for all its operating systems. Google will have uh, Fuchsia and whatever the actual kernel of Fuchsia is. And then it can toy around with making like more user-facing operating system stuff. Like they could ship an Android phone that would have Fuchsia stuff as the, the innards of it, um, but it still works and operates just like your current Android phone. Uh, or they mm-hmm. could go crazy and you know replace all the UI with Flutter and stuff. Like they they have a lot of flexibility, but I do think they want to get away from uh, Linux, uh, or at least have uh, my my original think was that they wanted to have a very viable replacement for Linux if something goes bad with Linux. Right but now, it seems like they're investing enough in it that they are fairly confident that they can pull it off. If you're listening to this and you're in your car, I'm just going to tell you, Dieter is completely stone-faced right now. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting nothing, nothing from this man. Like, Paul is just saying every word he can think of, and Dieter's like, "Uh uh-huh. Go ahead, Dieter, you're going to say something. Uh, I was going to say, I I remember once when I was trying to understand Docker, and I couldn't figure it out, and then Paul finally explained it to me, and then I went... Oh, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's really obvious, and that's like really smart, and that's the way that um, you know software in the cloud should work. And uh, I feel like there's a not precisely analogous move that they're doing with like a consumer or like a device operating system to Docker, but uh, it's like sort of analogous in the like, oh yeah, everything everything should be uh, should uh, the the internal parts of software in a computer should communicate that way. Paul, so when Paul you, says it's like the everything operating system, I like, I feel like they're building a kernel and they're building a system that instead of like having a bunch of virtual machines or instead of having to like report stuff, that it's flexible enough that it can run, like apps built with Flutter, apps well, built with the uh, Android SDK, and there's even like code that's like Swift. Like, let's see if we can figure out how to get Swift to run on this thing, right? They've got they've got Swift in there. They've got like a lot of Rust code. One way to think yeah. of it, like the the the. Invention, it's not the 
not like they came up with this concept, but the what makes Fuchsia different than a typical operating system is that it has what's called a microkernel. And so the idea is that all the uh, most of the drivers, most of the functionality of the operating system is not in the kernel. Whereas Linux is is more of what's called like a monolith. It's it's big and when you r- write a driver for hardware, right? You want your hardware to be able to work with Linux. You have to write code that interfaces directly with the kernel, which so you basically have to contribute to Linux to make your hardware work with Linux. Whereas with a microkernel, the kernel is much more self-contained, and so therefore it's much more portable and stuff that like a lot of the drivers can be much more sandbox, much more like basically like apps, and therefore a lot more portable. And so you end up with a lot more modular of an operating system and a lot more portable of an operating system. That people were thinking about this even back in the 90s. The thought was that maybe it's not as fast, but but they're pretty sure that they can make it fast. Yeah. It's funny that we, we've come this far with Google and its OS that they're, they're like going to make their next OS, right? Like Android isn't that old. But the idea that they're going to completely re-architect a new kind of OS from, from the ground up is actually kind of remarkable. And it's especially remarkable if they're hiring people to bring it to market. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also remarkable because they just spent quite a while mucking around with, like, some of the, the core primitives of, like, what Chrome OS is, right? Like, Chrome OS is now basically, like, half Chrome, half Android bits, right? And, like, there's a... There's some there, there's some stuff that, like, they're debating whether or not they should be in virtual machines or blah, 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 blah. But, like, there's, like... The way they're they're messing with Chrome, and at the same time they're developing this thing on the side. And so then the big question is, like we used to be like, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to bet on all on Android or on Chrome OS? And why do you have both? And it's so confusing. Um, in two years, we're going to be having the same argument about like Chrome OS slash Android hybrid and Fuchsia. And then people are going to be like, no, no, you don't understand. Fuchsia's for this, this, and this, and Chrome OS is for that, that, and that. And then Android is. You know, and that that other thing. And so I don't think they're going to kill off any of this stuff right away. And it's not going to be a one for one replacement, uh, which means we're going to have a whole lot of like confusion about what is for what thing um, in the same way that, you know, like, why is there both a, a cast platform for smart speakers and an Android <laughs> things platform? Right. <laughs> like I, I, Google just as a company is not worried about having like a single unified you know, thing that runs everything in the way that Apple basically has everything is iOS and like Google sort of doesn't care. And in some ways that's a little bit more honest because to say that, you know, everything is running iOS is like rough, right? It's like, is the touch bar on, you know, my MacBook Pro, it's like some variant of watchOS apparently sort of kind of like, it almost like becomes like meaningless terms when you talk about like what are the operating systems that run these little gadgets. My dude, wait until they launch the App Store for the Touch Bar with subscription oh pricing, and that is their next great <laughs> services play on the Mac. I mean, come on, that's what's that's what's coming. You know, you can feel it in your heart. If you want to tell me that everything I just bloviated about Fuchsia was wrong, I actually want you to tell me. And my email address is Dieter at the Verge dot com. And yeah. just Talk to me. I really do want someone that like gets it a little bit more than I do. And Nine to Five Mac has been doing the series called Fuchsia Fridays, and they've been doing really good work. But in general, I feel like we're getting to a point where it's no longer like random skunk work projects. It's a thing they're bringing yeah. to market, and we can actually start defining what it is. You know, here's the two things I will just very broadly listening to you talk. One, it feels like Chrome OS is going to end up the odd one out. 
right? Because it's the yeah. most broken right now, even <laughs> though it's just, it is. It's, it's just not the thing they're trying to make it d- like become is not good. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say about that. Like, I love the Chrome OS laptops I have, but only when they're doing the very narrow task of like browsing the web. Everything else Google wants Chrome OS to do is like a mess. So like it if they if their their intention is to extend onto the desktop, it seems like Chrome OS is the one that they should more immediately replace. The second mm-hmm. thing I'll say is the 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 attitude you're describing at Google, where they just kind of don't care, is the thing that scares me the most about buying Google hardware. Right. Right. Where it's like they don't really care. They're not invested in it. They're not gonna they're not gonna keep it up. They're not gonna maintain it. Like I've you know I have this home hub, and I'm just like, is this product gonna last? Like, are they gonna care? Are they gonna release a home hub too? Or is it just going to sort of like disappear into the ether like so many other Google things disappear into the ether? And that that to me is they got to solve that problem. I think I think more people perceive that with Google than that company wants to admit. Yeah, it is my biggest problem with Google other than the fact that they, um, they spy, spy on, on everybody all the time. <laughs> but I, I would say another way to put it is that I, I feel like the way Google thinks about products like instead of aggressively dog fooding things, like instead of telling its employees, like, look, we built this one thing, you better use it. Google has more of like a a vibe of like, hey, we built this thing, you're not using it? Oh, should we make a different thing? So then you will use it, you know? Like that's kind of like more their attitude about it. Like they want their employees to be using their, their things, their components to build the new things. And when their employees choose not to, Google thinks, well, maybe we need to make a different thing so their employees will want to use that. Everything seems, I mean, Google is like the whole vibe of the company is a college campus. And it just Mm. often, it often feels like they're like, they they come together on project teams and then the quarter ends and they like move on. So like everyone Mm -hmm. took the class Mm. where they built the Google Wi-Fi and then like built one and they like passed the science fair and like. Does anyone work on the Google Wi-Fi anymore? <laughs> like, it's just like deeply unclear to me. They made they made some lasting memories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Best vacation ever. And it's like they're all at the robotics fair. <laughs> Remember that time when we worked on a Wi-Fi product? <laughs> it's like that product exists. Like lots of people have that. They made all these promises about AI doing band steering. Like, is there an AI researcher at Google who's still thinking about? channel allocation on the Google Wi-Fi or they just like hand it over to the cloud monster like that's the the cloud monster (laughs) I don't know how Google works I don't know that's all I'm saying is I'm sure there's lots of people at Google who work on all of these products but the company's outward communication about that process gets lost in this like flood of new things that are half built or it gets lost in the flood of not having anything built uh, aka the uh, Google messaging story and the death of Hangouts yeah, what's going on there? Dieter, you're the only one who understands. Uh, so Hangouts is turning into Hangouts Chat. So enterprise users that use Hangouts are getting converted to Hangouts Chat, which is like a Slack-alike, and also Hangouts Meet, which is, I don't know, a Skype-alike, I guess, relatively soon. And then concurrently, uh, Google once again is like, well, we're not we're, – we're consumers and regular people. We're going to – we're going to transition you to, and uh, like something will happen in October, probably. We'll see. I don't know. You know, it's like, it's probably going to, like, I don't know. <laughs> we, we value you. You're great. Uh, but we're going to switch you over to chat once we sort of figure it out. Um, in the meanwhile, a recommendation for what you should do if you want to talk to somebody is, um, well, 
eventually we'll roll out RCS, but that's not really on computers that well. So um, I, I I don't know, man. Just, you, you're, you, you can figure it out. There's lots of other companies, I guess. Uh, wow. It's cool. We're cool. Everything's cool. Uh, by the way, Hangouts Chat is coming, I guess. Uh, but it's not really for consumers. But if you want to use it, sure, I guess. They maintain Hangouts just so they don't have to like use Slack, right? I mean, that's what's happening here. Like they use it internally. Yep. So in like other big company like Twitter uses Hangouts for all of its all of its video calls. So there, I bet it it just seems like okay. Like we we yeah. need this product. We have it. We can keep sort of developing it, right? Mm-hmm. Like the interns will fix it up every couple months. <laughs> they got to do something. And that then we don't have to like pay Slack or we don't have to use Microsoft right. Teams. Like it right. feels like it exists as a consumer product just because it because Google needs it to exist. Or I'm sorry, as an enterprise product, just because Google needs it to exist for its own enterprise. Yeah, it's like just very much my sense of it. So when does RCS come out, Dieter? My my best answer to what is going on is that rambling, insufficient, <laughs> like non-committal thing I just gave you, and I could I could give you that again if you want. Or you know we can move on to things that aren't awful and uh, terrible. Like that's that's it. Like RCS is going to come out when it comes out, uh, carrier by carrier, phone by phone. Uh, the rollout there has been not quite bungled, but it's certainly not like being handled well. There's still a lot of confusion out there, and like what they should do is like AT and T now supports RCS Universal Profile done, and mm-hmm. but instead it's like. This one carrier has this one phone that will let you talk to other one carriers that have that other one phone, sort of. So there, it's like it's like like MMS back in the day. Yeah, it's like MMS. It's exact. It's exactly like that. I sort of get it. Like to not to defend our nation's wireless carriers. It's not mm-hmm. something I usually do. But I get they can't break message. They can't just like roll it out without some small scale deployment to make sure it works right. That's what I'm assuming is is going on, but I don't know. In the meantime, it's just like, well, whatever. And like, yeah. also, I kind of am happy that the RCS rollout is happening slowly and haphazardly. It's it's a much better story outside the U.S. To be clear, like it's actually quietly just like happening in a bunch of countries. But it being messy, it just means that Android users are forced to like make a decision now to switch to Signal or Wire or WhatsApp or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I don't know. I can't I, yeah, I can't. I get the feeling the R- the true RCS rollout comes when the 5G phones hit, right? Like uh, that, that could be. That it, you know, that's like a good time to like break everybody's habits and be like, your 5G phone now has better multimedia texting. That's part of 5G. Like you can you can you can feel how there's like this consumer benefit that you can tie into this intangible network change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Was, we'll see. That seems obvious. Okay. Let's take a break. Let's read some ads. I kind of want to talk about the Google and Oracle lawsuit going to the Supreme Court, and then oh my god, I, I'm ba- I'm just basically going to ramble about the Fortnite lawsuit situation until someone makes me stop. Support of the Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, 
grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Google and Oracle. If you don't remember, Oracle. Paul, I think you might find this interesting. So Android, once upon a time, mm-hmm. was built with the same API calls as Java, and there was a deep relationship between Android and Java. Still build Android apps with Java. Still do. They were built with API calls that worked the exact same way as the Java API calls, but they were not the same API calls, if you believe Google. They just <laughs> worked and smelled exactly the same and okay. happened to share similar names. Or identical names in some cases. Java was developed by a company called Sun Microsystems. Mm -hmm. You might remember Sun Microsystems for its famous CEO, Eric Schmidt, who was once the CEO of Google, became the chairman Mm -hmm. of Google. So Google, he's like, hey, this thing I made Java, maybe? And they're like, yes. And so they used a lot of Java or a lot of Java-ish things to build Android. Sun Microsystems, purchased by Oracle. Oracle CEO, Larry Ellison, uh, notably famous for being Steve Jobs' best friend. It's a fact. Oracle now owns Java. They sue Google. This is years ago now. Sue Google for infringing the various copyrights in Java and the various patents in Java. We covered this lawsuit ages ago. We went to the trial. It was crazy town. We went to the first trial. We went to the first trial. So, this, this is the case that won't end. So the specific copyright infringement is... The API called names, the words that were used, the structure of the APIs in Java were replicated in Android, even though the underlying code was not the same. This is the infringement at risk. The judge, who we've actually profiled, Sarah Jong profiled uh, Judge Alsup for us. He is the judge who codes. Basically said this is nonsense in the Ninth Circuit. That got overturned. Then they went to a jury. The jury said... This is an infringement. That got overturned. Today, Google announced they are asking the Supreme Court of the United States to rule whether the the structure of API calls can be copyrighted and protected because they say this threatens the future of all software development. If a company like Google cannot build a compatible operating system by using the structure of of API, the structure and names of APIs. So can a small thing that's a piece of a larger thing, can that smaller thing be copyrighted? Yeah. I mean, the larger is, thing could probably be copyrighted. Well, let's, we'll get to Can well, the small yeah. thing? Yeah, I mean, this is the theme of this section of the Vergecast. But, Paul, I'm right. just having laid out what I've laid out and knowing what you know, what, what do you think? I never understood this at all. I never, <laughs> underst- I never understood. Okay, okay. if you want to use an operating, like, a, like a, a, a programming language to build an operating system, that you use all the functionality of that programming language. And if it happens to be uh, that 
so like if if, if I took uh, I don't know some imaginary program. Oh, if you take the programming language Swift, right, which has been explicitly open sourced, right, but it's not doesn't work on all platforms, right, or it might be partially ported to another platform, right. So it, Swift has a lot of functionality, but not all of its functionality works on all platforms. So let's say I'm going to do it on I'm going to bring Swift to Fuchsia, right, and it's going to run on Fuchsia on ARM, and it's going to make your fridge talk. I could uh-huh. write some ARM code to support the Swift functions, right? You know, I could write that backing code so that now I can use more of Swift so that I can make my talking fridge really responsive and great. Like that's just like how you port software to different platforms. If 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 Java was not available for making software, I feel like Oracle should have said this is not for making software. This is just a thing that you look at. This is just code that you can you can read a book that we published about Java. But you you're not supposed to make software with Java. It doesn't make any sense. Paul, so, I can I can simplify this for you. Have you ever heard of Bikram Yoga, which no. is the hot yoga, the yoga you do in a hot room? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I've heard okay. of hot yoga. In in 2015, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that Bikram yoga isn't copyrightable because it is an idea rather than an expression. Hmm. Okay, so, <laughs> wow, you are really, really poking at me. It, it relates. It sort of relates. <laughs> just, this whole section is just me trolling Neelai. You're killing me. So, I'm, the thing is, like, I'm going to get it wrong and the copyright lawyers are going to yell at me, but I'm going to try. Okay. I'm going to try to remember what I learned ages ago. Yeah. So the idea expression dichotomy is foundational to the the, the notion of copyright law. So for something mm-hmm. to be copyrighted, the right that you're getting is the right to copy it. In order to copy it, it needs to be fixed in a tangible – if you have an idea for a song and you're singing it out loud, you don't get a copyright. You record it, now you, you get a copyright, right? Right. It's, you get this tangible fixed expression. So yep. you, the idea doesn't count. So the Bikram yoga people, if they wrote a manual for how to do Bikram, that manual can be copyrighted, but just right. doing it is not. So that's like a right. whole thing. With Google and Oracle, the the main thing is that Oracle did write down the structure, sequence, and organization of the Java API, right? So how it's structured, the sequence of those elements, the organization of it. And Google is saying, yes, in order to use Java for our operating system, we had to reuse that structure, but none of the technical implementation of the API is the same as yours. So you write an app in Java and you call some API, Android is doing something totally different. It's like, right, you call the API, you say, return return this data, and the way that Java, as Sun implements it, does something to return the data, the way Android does it does something different, but all that's really happening is you're you're pushing the, the API, right? You're saying, give me this thing that I want. Mm-hmm. Literally, Oracle is saying to use the structure, sequence, and organization of the Java APIs is enough. It, like that's copyright infringement. And Google is saying, "Well, no, this is how people know how to code. So if we don't, then everybody who knows how to use Java won't be able to write a, write an app for the Android phone." And it, Java is open source. So this is like this is the debate. It's not so much idea and expression. That's the other thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Why is this copyright set of patent? There was there was a whole set of patent claims, and they were they were tossed out. the The heart of this is structure, sequence, and organization of the API in copyright. 
It's actually been to the Supreme Court <laughs> once and it was denied and now it's going again. Well, yeah. like, mean, the so Supreme the, Court denied to review the case. They denied cert. There, there's a long history of co- you have to copy the structure, sequence, layout, whatever of of a machine if you want to be compatible with it, right? Yep. So, so when you made IBM compatible operating system, you know, you had to make it like. I mean, th- this is actually a re- one reason why a lot of people can't forgive Microsoft is that Microsoft has been extorting companies that have used Linux for decades over the f- you, the fact that Linux implements the FAT file system, right? Mm-hmm. The FAT, right. the dumbest, simplest file system of all time that's been around for 30 or 40 years. Microsoft has a patent on it. And so Microsoft extorts money out of companies for using Linux because they have a patent on FAT. Uh, it, I mean, it, it this is why we should abolish patents of copyright. Oh. The end. Thank you. <laughs> Problem uh, solved. Well, the, the fat patents one expired, so that's fine. Yeah, but it's still hard to uh-huh. forgive Microsoft for being su- such an <laughs> asshole about it. Yeah, fair. I mean, I disagree with you on that, but we can move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the, the next thing is about the expansion of copyrights in digital spaces. Okay. Which troubles me every time. Uh, so I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been tweeting about it a lot. I should I just write it down, but I'm talking about the podcast instead. So there's all these people suing Epic. There's now four cases, I think, about the oh, dancing right. emotes in Fortnite, right? And we've done some good coverage on it. I think Nick wrote a great piece. He talked to a lawyer who had been a professional dancer, like the the single best analyst that you can find for <laughs> such a thing, right? Like the copyright <laughs> lawyer who's been who actually is a dancer. Um, and there's great coverage out there. I don't think anybody has really thought through the public policy implications. So here are the here are like the facts. So you've got Two Millie, the rapper. You've got the guy to the Carlton dance. You've got the floss kid. They're all represented by the same law firm. They're all suing Epic because Epic, you know, like lifted their dances into these emotes. That it's actually kind of complicated how you buy them. Right, you have to like buy the battle pass. They come in a pack. You can maybe buy them individually, but basically they they say you're selling our dance. And we deserve a cut of that, right? That is a lot. Like, so then you you have a lot of people saying, well, that's true. Like, they made this thing. They put this culture out in the world. Fortnite is selling it, like a version of it. They're making tons of money on Fortnite, just printing money with Fortnite. It only makes sense that they should have to pay these people who made these dances, right? You can't just, like, boost stuff out of internet culture and then resell it somewhere else. Like, it's it's only fair. And I think that fairness argument is very powerful for people given the scale of, of Fortnite's success. Yeah. But what I think is extremely dangerous, and so, Paul, I don't think we should abolish copyright, basically because mm-hmm. I was a copyright lawyer, and it's very dear to me, but <laughs> every time we... Ex- every well, time in we, that case, we could keep it. But every time you expand the, the realm of copyrightable subject matter, you run into insane side effects that we see over and over again. So... This issue has never really been litigated before because, quite frankly, there's not a lot of money in dancing. It's just a a real thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Fortnite has a lot of money, so this law firm is out there. So you can copyright a work of choreography. So the single ladies dance that Beyonce does in in that video. If you just, like, do that whole thing again and sell it for lots of money, Beyonce and choreographers can sue you for, like, lifting her choreography. If you want to put on a Broadway show at your high school theater, you can buy the choreography – to the Broadway version in a book where choreography is written down and you can like redo it, 
right? Like you can buy these rights to choreography. So like mm-hmm. a long piece of choreography is a copyrightable thing if you especially if you write it down, if you like notate it or you like make a video of it. Expression. Hmm. It is not clear whether a sequence of dance moves is copyrightable. The copyright office, not the law, but the copyright office says no. Right? Like okay. the law says, but the, when you look at like just sort of the guidance of the copyright office, they're like, no, like their example is the hustle is not copyrightable because that's just like a common dance move. But that's not the law. That's just the copyright office's guidance. So these cases are going to create precedent for like the quantum of dancing that is protectable under copyright law. And that, that like right. quantum of that unit of dancing is not yet. We don't know where the threshold is between what is not protected because it's just the hustle. Everybody can do the hustle. Or it's this like larger peak piece of choreography. Well, and what about what about like simultaneous dance invention? Like, do you have people rushing to like 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 they put an SD card of a video of them like doing a new dance move and then mail it to themselves like the like the trick with copyright, right? So that so, you have like a timestamp of when you invented a dance, so now you can sue everybody who ever does that dance move. Yeah. Okay. So that's like there's there's your first. I mean, you can like fairly say like the Carlton Dance guy. He's the first, like he invented it on the Fresh Prince. You probably, you know, like the Millie Rock, like the dude's name is to Millie. It's called the Millie Rock, like, right? Like, mm. but that unit of ownership doesn't exist. Like, it's not clear where the boundaries of the unit of ownership are, which is a very hard concept to get your head around. Right. Like, you can own a song. Right? You write a song, you can register copyright in a song. You can own the sample of a song. Right. So, and you can own a riff as well. But you can't own the song title, right? Uh, no. See? That's a whole different thing. But you can own some notes, right? So like the difference between these are just some notes and this is a riff and this is me quoting your riff in a transformative work, those are all things that get litigated case by case. And we do it for songs, so songs make lots of money. You can't just like reuse a riff. Like you can't just like take the satisfaction riff from the Rolling Stones and like make satisfaction again. Like you will get sued for that. Uh, I know, but I've said that's pretty close to a dance. It's timing, right? It's yeah. what you're doing and how long you do it. Uh, so very famously, uh, Robin Thicke and Pharrell got sued for Blurred Lines. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And the court ruled this is too close to, the, to another song, even though they're not the same. So there, there's a lot of that precedent out there in the law. But here, in, I think there's that expectation, right? Like if Blurred Lines had flopped, I don't think they would have gotten sued. So mm-hmm. you make this hit, you know, making lots of money, authors who think they contributed to your work are going to come for you. Yeah. None of that expectation is there culturally with dancing, right? Like you see Michael Jackson moonwalking. You can moonwalk. No one thinks like, oh, if I moonwalk in a bar, I hope this bar has a jukebox license, which is how that would usually work. So here's my my worst case scenario, right? There okay. are dance music trolls and okay. firms start up <clears throat> that buy up the rights to dance moves on the internet for cash payments, right? You just like need a million dollars, you're going to go buy 100 dance moves for $10,000 each, right? Like- you're just like, didn't do it. You're going to just buy a lot of money, and then you use the rest mm. of your million dollars to file lawsuits against other people who do that dance move. Because who's not mm-hmm. going to take the upfront cash payment for their dance move? This hasn't been a problem or a thing until Fortnite, right? Until Fortnite. The only reason that people go after it if uh, in any copyright situation is if there's money in it. Okay. I'm, I'm saying this unit of ownership has never existed before. 
Sure. It's never existed before. There's no cultural heritage. Right, but there's there's there are a million places where the law around owning a thing is complicated as hell. We did the super long podcast with Sarah <laughs> about mechanica rights way yeah. back in the or make, make, whatever it was with music. You know what? What's one more super complicated, vague area of law for people to sue each other over? Like, like it's not going to burn anything down, and you know, Epic is still going to make money. Yeah. Uh, like, are you worried about uh, stifling so, so, dance move innovation in the world? Is that is yes, that what you're afraid of? I'm absolutely worried about stifling dance move innovation. Wouldn't you be worried about okay. stifling dance move innovation? No, dude, I can't dance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you should be worried about stifling dance move innovation. My point is. This set, this thing, which is very strange, which is digital mm -hmm. representations of dancing for your avatar, has mm -hmm. created the opportunity for there to be a new quanta of ownership and copyright, which is crazy, right? Like to create a new thing that you can own does like not happen very often that you can go sue somebody else just for doing in a YouTube video, right? So I don't know, like some YouTuber flosses for eight seconds in a video the floss kid can has will now have the right to go sue them for whatever portion of YouTube ad revenues they get if they're not demonetized. Mm -hmm. YouTube has to develop a content ID system to make sure dances are not infringing in their videos because they don't Ooh. want the secondary liability. If I, this is one I pointed out yesterday, all kinds of NFL players do dances on the sidelines when they score touchdowns. A lot of money in the NFL. Do all these people get to go sue the players, the NFL, the broadcasters, if you accidentally do a dance that you didn't know was copyrighted? This is like the Pandora's box of crazy that these laws. So I think everybody's very focused on the unfairness of wealth transfer here. But I, I think the nightmare scenario of like Nathan Merville being like, well, this worked in patents. I'm just going to run around buying up dance moves so I can, I can just go sue. I mean, they do this. Music samples happens. There are companies that will scan for samples. I am worried about uh, dance move patent troll organizations, dance move troll organizations, yes. buying the, them all, all up. And the doing next that. great villain. That's bad for Marvel to. However, defeat. if we can, if we could stop that from happening, and we just allow these like quanta of movements to be copyrightable, then we have a, um, a massive source of non-governmental funding for the arts. <laughs> Choreographers <laughs> don't get paid jack. Yeah. And now here's a way for them to make some money. That's it's great. True. It's a it's a poorly monetized profession. <laughs> Look, it's just in my head. Like, I've been thinking about it because there's a, a fourth lawsuit filed this week. So you can go listen to Function with Anil Dash, which is also on the Box Media Podcast Network. He did a whole thing about sort of the inequity of, of the wealth transfer. He actually had two million on his show. Go listen uh -huh. to that. It's, it's, it's fine. It's all fine. But I just <laughs> – I want listeners to also think like – you're creating a new thing. You're creating a new thing that people can sue over. In like the history of platforms being overzealous with knocking down copyright infringement, the history of DMCA complaints, the histories of unscrupulous law firms trolling because of intellectual property rights. I, I actually think there's some value to like to Paul's point. Something's not being copyrighted. This copyright not existing in some places because yeah. it lets people just do stuff. It lets culture spread faster. And so if you start adding money and rights to something that has historically not had it, you will necessarily crush it. And I, I, don't, I think everyone's so focused on the unfairness aspect that the knock-on effect of kids on YouTube getting sued is just like not there. Like there's a whole fight in Europe right now over Articles 11 and 13 where 
Google and Facebook would have to pay a link tax where they'd have to, every online service provider has to have aggressive content filtering IDs. Imagine mm-hmm. if you added dance moves to that mix because you can yeah. own them. But that's it's nuts. Okay, that's it. My rant is over. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Sonos, rumored to be making headphones. Yeah, so this is a report from German over at Bloomberg, and um, it seems like he's got sources. But in addition to that, uh, Sonos has recently told shareholders, quote, we plan to push our boundaries by investing resources to make the experience of Sonos outside the home a reality, which is the worst mm-hmm. quote ever. <laughs> but got me thinking, like, why would you want Sonos headphones? Number one, maybe they'll sound good, right? Like, that that seems like a good reason, right? But is there any other reason you would want, in particular, Sonos headphones as opposed to just good-sounding Sony or Bang & Olsen or whatever headphones? The ideal with the Sonos headphones, this would pay off if you're walking home, you know, you, you just got off the train, you walk home, and you listen to a song, and the song's about to get real good. And so you take off your headphones, you put them on a Sonos dock, and then you're bam, your Sonos system comes alive, you know, and like the song's climax. It's really exciting. That would be the Sonos experience for headphones. Otherwise, I don't really get it. Yeah. The only other reason I could think of to want to have Sonos headphones is if you somehow think that Sonos's software of like queuing up all, like 
integrating all the different music services that you listen to into a single app and letting you like queue up things from like, here's the thing for my podcast app, and then I'll play some music next, and then I'll play this thing from this, you know, radio app that does the news, and then blah, 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 blah. And you just want to have like a central repository of everything that auditory that you've got. And then you'll be able to use that with your headphones in addition to using it at home. Yeah. So you can just have like a, a queue. But then you've got to like route all audio in your life through the Sonos app, which is just deeply depressing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, from Sonos's perspective, that is exactly what they need to be doing. Because otherwise, your, your other apps are theoretically going to get better at, at routing your app audio. And they'll also work with home speakers that aren't Sonos. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think they just need more products. What Sonos is effectively saying is like, our product line is limited to these experiences inside your house. People are only going to buy so many speakers. We need to sell them one more thing, or we need mm-hmm. to bring them into our ecosystem in a way that is additive. Like it would be cool if you put on your Sonos headphones at home and the audio switched from your Sonos Beam to your headphones. Yeah, like that would be neat. But that doesn't that mean your Sonos experience is out out of the home yet. Yeah, I don't know. I to me, I, I feel like they. We reported at CS on a survey they were doing across a bunch of platforms where they're like, what products should we make next? Headphones were not on that list. It was a bunch of other stuff like a cheaper Sonos sub, Atmos rear firing speakers. Like, yeah, I, I think that stuff will take them farther. Rolling out Google Assistant, which Dieter and I saw, will like accelerate them. I just, I don't, I'm very curious what they can offer for headphones. In that same report, by the way, it was very interesting. I think Roman mentioned that Apple was making headphones, like their own high end cans mm-hmm. and AirPods. Yeah, that's, like that rumor's been around for a while. Yeah, yeah. Apple owns Beats. Remember the original no. super premium expensive headphone brand? Nobody there, at Apple remembers that. Has, has ever an acquisition been so like bungled? Most acquisitions. No, it's just like they bought Beats. I get that Apple Music exists. There's no reason to spend a billion dollars to buy the core of Apple Music. They definitely could have gotten those deals and built that service themselves. It's mm-hmm. all it's been re-architected along the way. It's not like Jimmy and Dre and Trent Reznor are doing anything, right? You don't like, know that. Trent Reznor is not doing anything at I just I promise you he's not going to work every day and being like, I think we should fire 200 car engineers. Like <laughs> you don't you don't think I mean I feel like they've probably already gotten their money's worth from beats just in hardware sales. Yeah, I mean that was part of the deal, right? It's like this is like this is an acquisition that'll pay for itself. But they didn't do anything with the products except put W1 in them and then inconsistently add lightning ports. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing that like there can be rumors in the world of Apple making headphones when they bought a dominant headphone company. Yeah. I just feel like a lot of acquisitions go that way. Yeah. I mean, I think, the I cultures think don't don't mesh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how long has Google owned Nest? <laughs> oh, Nest. <laughs> right? So there's like, that there's that story this week of, of people's passwords getting reused. Like people had bad passwords. So Nest, yeah. people are logging into their Nest cameras. Where they reused passwords and then people logged in their Nest accounts and then were issuing like fake warnings of impending war with North Korea. Do you see this? Yeah. It's yeah. a poor yes. Nest. It's like not really their fault, right? Like everyone's like Nest cameras get hacked, and you like look into what it really is, and it's we reused their password. Well, so Nest could have like kept a closer eye on. I don't know. You you could make the case that at some point Nest should like look at its customers that don't have two factor. Uh, and I don't know. Is the onus on Nest to like let their customers know like, hey, you're on Have I Been Owned, and uh, 
we notice you should change your password. You know what I mean? Like, right. I don't know. Like, but you could make the case that they might have had some responsibility to like try and keep an eye out for some of their customers that might have had passwords compromised on other sites. Maybe. I don't want sure. quite want to say that, but sure. Sure. Anyway. Maybe. Especially because they, they make cameras and thermostats. Like they have a higher duty of care. Right. 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 But Nest is owned by Google and you mm-hmm. can't log into your Nest account with your Google account. Right. And Google does all that stuff. Like, it's that is just a crazy situation to me. That I mean, I literally when Matt Rogers was a CTO, he's gone now. I emailed him and I was like, "Hey, I just bought a Nest thermostat. Why can't I log in with my Google account?" And he just replied with "Good idea, smiley face." And it was like <laughs> two and a half years ago. <laughs> what do you, I don't know? So you're right, Paul. Maybe maybe the solution to like antitrust in the world is to actually just let everyone buy each other. Because it will inevitably fall apart. Does what? <laughs> thank you. I'm thank you for joining my team. I'm not on your team, Paul. I'm just <laughs> I'm just interested in your in your literature. <laughs> <laughs> my team has sensible antitrust regulation <laughs> and some modicum of copyright laws. All right, can we can we end real quick on what's going on with Netflix and Hulu, and then wrap this thing up? Only if we let Paul do his weekly segment that we never forget about, and that he oh does every week with the same name all the time. Paul, I'm sorry, buddy. Like, you are gonna love this week so much. Like always, the segment is called "My Heart Is a Low Frequency Oscillator." Yeah, <laughs> and Teenage Engineering is the is the greatest company on earth. They just came out with this, like, uh, it's called the OPZ, as the Europeans say, or OPZ, which is the follow-up to the OP1. So it's like a little synthesizer thing. It's really cool. It has no screen. Very hard to use. Very exciting. But just now, I guess because it's NAM, they announced another product, which is this line of uh, pocket operator modular synths. So I don't know if... It, I didn't hear about modular synthesis until like six months ago, but imagine this, Neelai. Imagine a gadget that is only headphone jacks. Yes. <laughs> right? And and sometimes volume knobs. Yes. And so, so then you plug Are there one LEDs? aux cable. Uh, sometimes, often, actually. Yeah. Um, so so basically, it, 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 it's just a money sink. So you get into like the Eurorack system is 3.5 millimeter. There's also modular synthesis with quarter inch jacks. This is Teenage Engineering is trying to make a very affordable modular synthesis setup. Uh, and it's, it just looks awesome. It, it, and it's, I mean, it's not cheap. It's $500, but that's cheap for modular synthesis. And it's got a lot of stuff to it. Uh, anyways, if you haven't ever heard of modular synthesis and you like <laughs> spending thousands of dollars on gear, it's, it's there's so much YouTube waiting for you out there. I'm ready it's for great. it. I love Teenage Engineering. It's my favorite. By the way, I should, so no- cool. I should note that uh, it's Nam this week. It's a big music mm-hmm. trade show. And Danny, Deal, and Vlad are at NAM, and they're reporting on a bunch of wild stuff. This is a big focus for us this year. Like, I want us to do more tools coverage for creators because there is an explosion of neat podcasting stuff, neat video streamer stuff, uh, neat cameras for YouTubers. Instagram is like renaissance of photography equipment. Um, so I want to I want us to do a lot more of that this year and connect the tools creators are using to the platforms they're using and the work they're doing. It's like that's the verge. That's like the thing that we mm-hmm. do. So look out for if you're into this music stuff. Look out for Danny and Vlad this week because they're at Nam. Danny's got some wild interviews lined up. Actually, I'm excited for it. Okay, 
I was going to do Netflix and Hulu, but here's the news. Netflix is going to cost $2 more, and Hulu is going to cost $2 left. So it's a wash. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's go. kind of it. That's well, kind Netflix, of the news. Like, Netflix makes a ton of, of news with its shows all the time. It gets, you know, Oscar nominations, and it, you know, blah, 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 blah. Joined the NBA. has The Handmaid's Tale? Yeah, Netflix joined the NBA, which just makes me so sad. Yeah, Hulu. And, like, Hulu has The Handmaid's Tale, and, like, they're just, like, still around. Like so, that's I hate to say it, but like Hulu is not making the splashes that they need to, and so it makes sense that they're, you know, dropping their prices lets them kind of needle Netflix a little bit, and good on nah, them. But there's good stuff. I don't know where there. they're going. There's is like there? some wild, yeah. Like they have some good originals, and they have uh, obviously the first run stuff from the, the major networks. Okay. What I will say is that I I like assigned out like we need to do a Netflix versus Hulu piece. Blah, blah blah. I was like looking at it today with Chris Welch. It'll be up by the time you listen to this. So pull over in your car and read our Netflix versus Hulu piece. <laughs> but so you know, one of the things. So they have different content, obviously, mm-hmm. but they're also like technically very different, like worlds apart. Netflix technically is way ahead of Hulu, right? Netflix supports 4K. They support Dolby Vision. They have some stuff in Atmos. They have lots of stuff in surround sound. Um, Hulu is like 1080p stereo in most cases, at most. So All I was right. like. I'm reading this, and I was like, Chris, you didn't mention surround sound. He's like, actually, Hulu supports surround sound, but only on certain devices. And it's the in here's here's the truth. Hulu, you can get surround sound from Hulu on a Nintendo Switch, but you what? cannot get it. This is true, but you cannot get it on the Apple TV or Roku. <laughs> it's like <sighs> the Xbox One, the PS4, the Switch. You can make some stuff on Hulu will have surround sound, but not. Roku or the Apple TV. It's absolutely bonkers. I don't understand what they're doing. And thus, I will pay them $2 less a month. My question is, what? why isn't there a service for people who like movies that are already made? You know what I mean? Like, I want to watch Dr. Strangelove. It's called Voodoo the, or iTunes Movies. Yeah, you have to buy them. You have to, like, rent and yeah, buy. Yeah, it There's, used like, to be no called Netflix, service. they lost all the rights to stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of they movies. Lost all the rights to the stuff in the junk. What you're describing, Paul, is uh, HBO. <laughs> yeah, but you just get HBO now, and you get HBO's library of movies, and you're fine. They have a, a very small curated selection of films. You're looking for every movie. Well, right now I'm looking for Doctor Strange, which, by the way, there's not a very good. I mean, I know there are a couple of websites that help you find which service a film is on, but uh, there's not a very good one. That's frustrating. I think, Paul, you should go full on into owning physical media. This is mm. the next step for you. Into like Criterion Collection Blu-rays, into like walls of, of books. Like I, I would like to come bu- visit you and enter like a, a, bu- a plush mahogany media space. Yes. Okay. Here's my thing. I would buy, well, one, physical media is not great like archivally in like a, like a last for a hundred years. Neither is digital media. No, but... At least you didn't buy. <laughs> <laughs> wait, so okay. your your quality. Wait, your criteria is it should la- it should outlast you. Yes. Okay. If, if I could buy like a holographic cube, right, that stores a film for over a hundred years. That's my criteria. <laughs> Paul's criteria collection over a hundred years. Oh my god! The show is going on too long, and, and eight, <laughs> you've got like eight, thirty seconds left. It needs this. It needs to be eight K. Minimum. Because okay. 4K is not equal to the resolution of 35 millimeter film. Yeah, and if yeah, I'm yeah. going to get an archival 
set. Anyways, that's what that's when I'll move to physical media. All right, get on it. Sony. I don't know. The end. Who's going to make a weird format that lasts for a hundred years in 8K? It's Sony. Yeah. So okay. if anyone at Sony is listening, Memory Stick 8K. Memory Stick Cube. That's Memory Stick Cube. Alpha. All right. <laughs> That's been the Vergecast, everyone. Uh, worst of the year. It, the year. You know, it's only January, so that's fine. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll have a, another interview episode. You know, another Vergecast on Thursday. Listen to all of season three of Why'd You Push That Button. It is. Um, you know, a good podcast that you can listen to. It's well-produced, tells a narrative hmm. story. It ends on time. So listen to that show. Ashley and Caitlin are great. You can listen to Pivot with Scott Galloway and Kara Swisher. I mentioned Function earlier. You can listen to Function with Neil Dash. All great shows from the Vox Media Podcast Network. You can also follow us on all the social platforms. But honestly, just like shut it down, read a book but while listening to yeah. us. Okay. Rock and roll. Paul. Email me about Fuchsia. Dr. Strangelove is available on archive.org. But is that legal? I don't know.